Hello, I'm Bill Lawrence, and welcome to another edition of my Big Bag of Onions. Each show is a carefully curated selection of undeservedly unfamiliar songs and a dozen brand new short stories written exclusively for Colm Radio and especially for this show by you, our listeners. So it's time for you to sit back because this is Bill's Big Bag of Onions.
Who Pays the Ferryman? by Paul Hooper. Google says it's quicker through there, said James. I looked at the narrow lane to our left. There was a bit of bitumen, but it was barely wide enough to take a small truck. Are you joking, said I. Nope, Google reckons there's a river crossing. No point belting across Java on motorcycles if you don't take the odd side trip. So soon we were overlooking a muddy tropical river with a rough track leading down. On its way towards us, an old wooden ferry powered by the river itself. We paid the ferryman 20p each. Ah, Java, I love you. Prayer to the Forest by Sophie Drinogle. 
My steps have worn a secret path to your depths. Your cool, deep greens give hope to sunlit glades of wild garlic, celandine, and anemones. Where the choir of birdsong celebrates the dawn of each new spring and summer morning, its pale gold mist descending the arching, aching boughs of copper beech and horse chestnut. Your majestic cathedral-like canopy under which I tread my faithful friend at my heels. So small and insignificant in your splendor. We reach the river and kneel to drink from your chalice of clear water, giving thanks to your beauty. face peered through the gap. Yes? Police, madam, can we come in? Of course. Does your bed sit? Yes. 
a scene of utter devastation. Wardrobe doors flung open, drawers hanging out, clothes, hangers strewn, the carpet barely visible, a discarded jewellery box, contents scattered, tins, packets, bottles covering every surface, carrier bags, boxes, a suitcase, all ransacked. The officer tutted as she tiptoed through the landmine of shoes. Bastards, she muttered under her breath. It's the havoc they cause. What did they take? Who? The burglars. The break-in? Oh, you need Sally next door. Special Agent by Gladys Hornet.
Back in the day, no televisions, computers, mobile phones or record players. Our entertainment was playing in the street. There were few cars to interfere with games. Cricket had dustbins as wickets, the football owner always the captain, and every house had a front garden to hide in. Players came and went, called in to eat, rejoining later. It never spoiled the game. But there was a radio programme that stopped play for everyone. 6.45, Monday to Friday. The Devil's Gallop signalled the start of Dick Barton's Special Agent. Street would empty and we rushed indoors. Fifteen minutes of pure escapism. Bag of Onions on 106.6 FM Colm Radio. Innovative voices and original stories making our unique community. No onions have been hurt in the making of this programme.
The Man in the Box, A Mystery by Tony Pierce. for our annual holiday at Aunt Rosemary's cottage. Until the rotten incident with the paraffin and the snorkel, we had been six. Two fewer meant less of us to share a bed, so there was a silver lining. The cottage felt different, an odd smell and no sign of Uncle John. Davy and I decided to investigate whilst Malcolm and Cousin Ginny seemed preoccupied in the barn. Astonishingly, one day I found the secret room unlocked. I sneaked in and happened upon the man in the box. Then Davy called me down for tea, followed by scrumptious steamed pudding.
Humboldt by Pat Bloss. Humboldt was fed up with being bullied. If it wasn't just his name, it was his glasses, horn-rimmed and patched together with a pink plaster. Then it was his braces, later still his admittedly unprepossessing face. By age 17, friendless, partnerless, and with no great ambition to press himself forward, either socially or professionally, his mother decided that joining a karate club would be the ideal solution for him. It would toughen him up, widen his social circle, and, with any luck, improve his confidence. May God rest his soul. Well, that wasn't much of a eulogy, thought his mother. Listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions, an extraordinarily tasty and chewy pot of wonderful stories and blended music chosen and written by our own community here at 106.6 FM Colm Radio. Go on, love my onions. I know I do.
by Jenny Miller. My back aches and my brow drips as we climb a heathery hill. My rucksack straps dig in and I struggle to keep up with the group. The peak towers ahead over steeper and steeper slopes. I doubt whether I can manage it. Where's Andy today? He was carried away by the song of the breeze. I'm grateful for the pause to catch my breath. Suddenly, a gust of wind touches my back. It soothes my back and energizes me, pushing me forward, and I begin to run, effortlessly, almost flying. I wonder if this is what happened to Andy. Understanding Women by Phil Boast
didn't get it. Last night at the party, M's best friend had been all over him. She couldn't have made it more obvious. It was the clearest, here I am, come and get me, that he had ever seen. Now, if some bloke had tried it on with Emily, he would have been told to stop. And if he had persisted, Will would have beaten the crap out of him. It was that easy. And yet, the next morning, there they were, Emily and Sandra, acting like nothing had happened. Probably, Will decided, he would never understand women. Jaffa by Rob Lewis Picking oranges on a kibbutz in Israel was not as enjoyable as I'd imagined when on the leaden skies in London. The warm sun became hot as February turned into March. You were sweaty and itchy and a fall from the ladder was not out of the question. But the worst of it was David from Manchester, the kibbutznik in charge and a right slave driver. 
You forgot an orange. Five trees back up at the top. Take your ladder and get it. Sod it. I've had enough of this. I got a transfer and was soon washing great big dishes instead. Just found out about love and I like it. I like it. I like what love has been doing to me. I hold your clothes in my arms and I like it. I like it. Oh, what a wonderful future I see. It's a one time only, it's a lifetime deal. And I know it's real, I can tell by the way that I feel Right now I'm living it up, and I like it I like it, hey you, give me a clue What's love doing to you? Looks like you could be liking it too David had chosen government haircut number seven when he had first moved to the Department of Citizenship as a junior social conscience officer all those years ago. As his career blossomed and promotions followed, he had maintained proudly his haircut number seven, and it had often been commended by his superiors. Haircuts make happiness, proclaimed the leadership. Strength and freedom demand tidy grooming, declared management control. Then David began to change. He was no longer the perfect citizen, and there was a certain subversive inevitability about his decline and eventual fall. For what could he do about his baldness? for the vinegar to penetrate into the onions but once they're ready 
you're gonna love these. I absolutely adore pickled onions. Not very good if you're on a date, but if you're not, really enjoy these. You have been listening to 100 Word Onions, written exclusively for Cone Radio by Paul Hooper, Sophie Drenogel, Ian Hornet, Gladys Hornet, Tony Piers, Pat Bloss, Jenny Miller, Phil Boast, Rob Lewis, and Bill Lawrence. And so that's all we have time for, for this edition of the show. If you would like to contribute an onion, just get in touch, either with Cone Radio or via the Bill's Big Bag of Onions Facebook page. And remember, the stories must be exactly 100 words long. So join us again soon, on a Tuesday or a Sunday evening, for the next edition of Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Be seeing you. Your heart off your sleeve.
Happy Productions present From Colchester to Sulawesi, written for Colm Radio by Phil Boast and Paula Larcher. Episode 19, The Tree of Life. For the most part, the weather in our chosen soon-to-be place of abode is a fairly gentle beast. The temperature rarely deviates by more than 2 degrees from 30 degrees centigrade, day or night. If it drops below 28, the locals complain of the cold. At above 32, we feel the heat. But these are not common occurrences, and for most of the time, the thermometer needle is stuck on 30 degrees in the shade. We have seasons, sort of. The dry season starts about April and goes on until about October. But it rains quite a bit during the dry season. The low mountain just behind the lodge can create its own weather patterns any time of the year as the moist air rises around it. Across the water, Monado Tour Island often has clouds above it in an otherwise clear sky, and it rains a lot more in the highlands than it does on the coast. In or about December, the wind changes to the north, and banks of magnificent black clouds roll in from the horizon. And if you happen to see this happen for the first time in the year, you can mark to the nearest hour the beginning of the rainy season. First comes a fairly light wind, and then comes the tropical deluge, often accompanied by thunder, and the wet season is here, in which there are always long, dry spells. One might say that the only predictable thing about the rain here is its unpredictability, and everyone welcomes the rain whenever it comes in this ever-bountiful land, where in the highlands, potatoes are cropped three or four times a year, and the lowland rice paddies never dry out. Rain is the bringer of life. It's the wind that does the damage, and most of the time we bask in equatorial calm, and there are only a handful of days each year when the dive boats stay in dock because of bad weather. There are, however, occasional exceptions to this rule. One morning, the four of us are at the hotel, relaxing by the swimming pool, and we strike up a conversation with a South African couple who live in Jakarta. Meeting any other white people here who live in Indonesia is a rare thing indeed. It is quite possible, and indeed likely, that one will spend a whole day in town without seeing another white face. So we talk, and invite them for lunch at the lodge. The husband is a diver, and he suggests that we buddy up and go for a mid-morning dive, returning in time for lunch, and since relaxing by swimming pools isn't something which I'm particularly good at, I gladly take him up on the offer. As we are walking back up the long timber jetty after the dive, the rain begins to fall, and by the time we arrive at the lodge, a strong westerly wind has all of a sudden blown up. By mid-afternoon, it's very strong indeed, and from the lodge we watch as the sea becomes uncharacteristically tempestuous, and the lady who runs the dive centre phones us. The dive boats have gone out and not come back, and can we see any of them from our vantage point? The boats are not designed or built for this kind of sea. 
There is no safe harbour anywhere apart from the hotel, and even here the harbour mouth is too narrow to make entry in such conditions. So she is, of course, worried, as are we. It's only by chance that we decided against the afternoon dive, so there but for the grace of God go we, one might say, and I'm good friends by now with all of the dive guides, and this isn't a good situation at all. It is not until well after dark that the last dive boat is accounted for, and only by late evening have all made safe entry into the hotel harbour. Nobody is seriously hurt, although the boats have sustained some damage, and one has lost its roof. But the skill of the boat captains has seen to it that they found relative safety by steering the boats close into the mangroves and out of the main swell, and waiting out the storm. This is a rare occurrence, but this has been our first experience of extreme weather, in a place where, for the most part, all we have is brilliant sunshine or heavy rain, and nothing much in between. This, as we fully intend, is our last visit here before we make our big and final move, which in any case must be mine, as I'm at the end of my annual leave. 
we need to do something about our lack of furniture. If we can't buy what we still need, we will have to have it made. So once again, the village steps in and offers us Mr. Marwin, the man whose house we picked up and moved before we began building. By now, we have given him the nickname of Marvellous Marwin, a derivative of Marvellous Marvin, the boxer. As far as we're aware, Marvellous Marwin can't box, but he is, by all accounts, a skilled carpenter. So all we apparently need to do is provide him with wood and some simple drawings, and given enough time, he will do the rest. So we will buy timber. But again, the village suggests that since we have a garden full of coconut trees, why don't we fell a couple of those? The coconut tree is an amazing plant. Not only is the flesh inside the nut used for a multitude of culinary and cosmetic purposes, as well as being hung up to feed blue tits in English gardens, the coconut milk itself is a nutritious and delicious drink. The fibrous growth at the top of the tree is put to a variety of uses. The leaves are used for roofing, the husk of the nut is used as fuel for cooking, and then there's the stem or trunk. The lower and older part of the stem makes heavy, strong and heavily grained dark timber, which may be used for building and furniture making, the upper part being too young and soft. And if you fell a coconut tree and have a spoon handy, you can actually eat the pure white topmost part of the stem, which is delicious and not surprisingly tastes like soft coconut flesh. Coconuts are harvested all year round and at harvest time piles of thousands of coconuts are transported by cow and cart to processing places by the roadside and several people spend several days removing the white flesh with specially designed tools. The flesh is then smoked over traditional frames made from sticks and coconut leaves. It's then smoked a second time and this produces copra which is exported and used in the cosmetics industry. In any case, we have a lot of coconut trees on the land, some of which are rather too close to places where people walk, and a falling coconut could easily kill one of our future guests, which would be embarrassing, so it all seems like a good idea. And if Marvellous Marwin can indeed turn them into furniture, then it could go a long way to solving our particular problem. We point out that timber usually needs to be seasoned before it can be so used, but this apparently is not the case with coconut wood, so we will see and in any case we give the go-ahead to fell the trees. We give a list to Marvellous Marwin, which includes dining table and chairs, more bedside cupboards and storage cupboards, which will give us enough to at least appear respectable by the time we return. It then so happens that we are offered the huge limb of a boatwood tree by the people who live across the road from the lodge, which, as the name implies, is most often used for boat making, but apparently it is also excellent timber for the making of furniture, so we are pleased to accept the offer. We think that this will conclude matters arboreal, but now enters a certain Mr Judas onto the scene, who is also apparently a carpenter. Mr Judas does come in for a certain amount of friendly ribaldry from his friends in the village for being not friend of Jesus, but the guy can't help his name, and we really don't mind whose friend he is as long as he can work the wood and make us a nice coffee table and more chairs. So now we have more than enough timber for our needs and woodworkers coming out of the woodwork, so to speak, Phil does some drawings of the various items of furniture and that for now is all we can do. 
we buy a safe for the storage of small valuable items. A small generator to at least run some lights and the water pump when the still quite frequent power cuts occur. And thus have we, by various means, imported, purchased or have had or are having made just about enough domestic paraphernalia to make a working lodge. We have enough staff on hand to cover the basic needs as and when they arise. And we have marvellous Marwin and Judas the Betrayer making furniture. So, all in all, we consider that things are going quite well insofar as they are so far going. Motherland Cradle me Close my eyes Lullaby me to sleep Keep me safe Lie with me Stay beside me Don't go Don't you go Find out what further adventures are in store for Phil and Paula as they travel from Colchester to Sulawesi in the next episode of Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Bill's Big Bag of Onions is a guppy production for Cone Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. (laughs) 